Well, we're going to read together now, and uh, if you have your Bible, or you may just want to listen, uh, <clears throat> it's uh, Mark's Gospel, Mark's Gospel, chapter 6. Mark chapter 6, and we take up the reading in verse 30. Jesus feeds the 5,000. Mark chapter 6, verse 30. The apostles gathered around Jesus and reported to him all that they had done and taught. Then... Because so many people were coming and going that they did not even have a chance to eat, he said to them, Come with me by yourselves to a quiet place and get some rest. So they went away by themselves in a boat to a solitary place. But many who saw them leaving recognized them and ran on foot from all the towns and got there ahead of them. When Jesus landed and saw a large crowd, he had compassion on them because they were like sheep without a shepherd. So he began teaching them many things. By this time, it was late in the day. So his disciples came to him. This is a remote place, they said, and it is already very late. Send the people away so they can go to the surrounding countryside and villages and buy themselves something to eat. Jesus answered, you give them something to eat. They said to him, that would take eight months of a man's wages. Are we to go and spend that much on bread and give it to them to eat? How many loaves do you have? He asked. Go and see. When they found out, they said, Five and two fish. Then Jesus directed them to have all the people sit down in groups in the green, on the green grass. So they sat down in groups of hundreds and fifties. Taking the five loaves and the two fish and looking up to heaven, he gave thanks and broke the loaves. Then he gave them to his disciples to set before the people. He also divided the two fish among them all. They all ate and were satisfied. And the disciples picked up the twelve basketfuls of broken pieces of bread and fish, the number of them who had eaten was 5,000. Well, the images of riots in London, Birmingham, Manchester, and other places this week have been shown around the world. Cabinet ministers have cut short their holidays to come back and deal with the problem. The media have been interviewing young people um, who complained that, well, they just had no prospects, and therefore, actually, what they've done is quite justified. Or others who have said, actually, I didn't know why, why I did that. Police have been bashing down doors and uh, arresting people. Teenagers have been appearing in courts without their parents. And debates have been raging about, well, what was this all about? What was the cause of it? How could it have been prevented? But I wonder if Jesus was on earth right now and not um, 
walking upon England's mountains green or pastures, a pleasant pastures scene as the, the hymn goes. But if he was walking through the streets of London, if he was uh, among the dark satanic mills, what would he have thought? How would he have, descri- how would he have described the rioters? Would he have described them the ways that others have described them as uh, uh, hooded morons or idiots, thugs, all the sorts of descriptions that uh, have been bandied around? How would he have described them? Well, I rather think that he would have looked at them in the same way that he looked at the crowd in the story that we're looking at this morning. Because if you've got your Bibles open at uh, Mark 6, have a look at uh, verse 34, which really sums up this passage. When Jesus landed and saw a large crowd, he had compassion on them, because they were like sheep without a shepherd. And what I want to focus on this morning as we look at this very familiar story which appears in each of the the Gospel accounts is not so much how amazing a miracle it was, because obviously it was, but what it was that prompted him to do that miracle. Because this story is all about Jesus' compassion. And there are four aspects of that compassion that I would like to look at this morning. And the first of those is the compassion sees the need for rest. Back in um, verse 7 of uh, this same chapter 6, Jesus has sent out his 12 apostles. He sent them out in twos to to preach repentance, to drive out demons, to heal. And in their actions, they are proclaiming the arrival of the kingdom of God. Now, they've all been out, and in verse 30, they, they come back, and they're reporting to Jesus all that they've done. They're very excited. They've got lots of things to tell him. But interestingly enough, None of those stories are actually recorded here for us. The Gospels are full of examples of Jesus' miracles, his healings, of him casting out demons. But we're given no example here of what the disciples had done when they were sent out. And why is that, you may ask? Well, because this is not about his disciples. This is about Jesus. He's the one who has commissioned them to, to go out. They've gone out in his power. On his behalf, he's the one about whom they are teaching. So we don't really need to know about their stories. What we do learn, though, as they come back and as the crowds gather again, is that Jesus is aware of their physical needs. And he says there in verse 31, because so many people were coming and going that they didn't even have a chance to eat, he said to them, come with me by yourselves to a quiet place and get some rest. And I wonder how many times we long for somebody to say that to us. Um, maybe a busy housewife struggling desperately to manage the home and look after the kids. Busy worker with all those um, tasks and deadlines to meet. How would you long to be told, come with me by yourselves to a quiet place and get some rest? As humans, we all need rest. You know, we cannot be useful to our families, to our employers, to our church without rest. If we burn ourselves out, what use are we? And that means regular rest, which is why God instituted the Sabbath, the, the physical and spiritual refreshment. I wouldn't say Sundays are necessarily physically restful for me, but they're certainly spiritually refreshing. As was the trip to Romania. It was, uh, um, it was quite hard work. 
Um, it was draining, but, th- but spiritually it was energising. But it's often the most conscientious who need the most rest. Uh, Pastor Julian in Romania, when he tells his testimony of how he came to faith, um, he will tell you how he wanted originally to become a soldier, to join the army. Um, but then he realised that God wanted him to be a soldier for Christ. Um, and for him, soldier can mean, though, somebody who, who just keeps going, who puts up with every hardship. And that is admirable to a certain extent. But when we have a, a passion for the Lord's work, as he clearly has, we need to remember that it is his work. And the results come from him, and we need to entrust them to him and not rely on our own efforts. Well, a lot of employers, they will let you go um, until you do break down or, um, or complain. But Jesus doesn't wait for his disciples to come to him and say, look, we're, we're pretty exhausted here, we just can't, can't go on. Because of his compassion, he has insight and he sees you need a rest. And for those of you who may manage teams here uh, in, your, in your work situation, can I encourage you to look out for your, your team members? Be aware of them, be aware of their need for rest. Don't just get all you can out of them, which is the, the, the normal temptation. And it goes to us as church leaders as well. We need to be aware of those of you who do need a rest sometimes from the service that uh, you have been doing for many years. Jesus said, come with me by yourselves to a quiet place and get some rest. And so they went away by themselves on a boat to a solitary place. Well, we're not sure how much rest they got because um, the crowds uh, ran ahead of them. And as soon as they landed, there they were again. But when Jesus landed, he didn't think, oh no, here we go again. It says, when he landed and saw a large crowd, he had compassion on them, because they were like sheep without a shepherd. This is a compassion now that sees the need of a large crowd. He sees their spiritual need. What does that mean to be sheep? without a shepherd. We don't see many shepherds in this country um, because our fields are nicely boxed in. They have hedges or fences uh, or walls. But if sheep were free to roam over the, the hills, they would soon roam and get lost. Surprisingly, sheep can't read maps or sat-navs. Unless, of course, it's Sean the sheep, for those of you who know him. Probably would be able to do that. But in what way can a crowd of people get lost? Because, I mean, this crowd here actually did a pretty good job of tracking him down. They, you know, went round and found him when he got off the boat. What well, help us understand this, turn to the Old Testament, to Ezekiel chapter 34, where we read of the prophecy that Ezekiel was instructed to give to the people of Israel. Ezekiel chapter 34, we've got our um, church Bible, it's on page 865. Let me read from verse 2. This is what the Sovereign Lord says. Woe to the shepherds of Israel who only take care of themselves. Should not shepherds take care of the flock? You eat the curds, clothe yourselves with the wool and slaughter the choice animals. But you do not take care of the flock. You have not strengthened the weak or healed the sick or bound up the injured. You have not brought back the strays or searched for the lost. You have ruled them harshly and brutally. So they were scattered because there was no shepherd. And when they were scattered, they became food for the the wild animals. 
My sheep wandered over all the mountains and on every high hill. They were scattered over the whole earth and no one searched or looked for them. Just keep your finger there for a moment. God's rebuke was for the leaders of Israel. And his main point was, do you take care of the flock? Do you take care of my people, the people who have been put under your care? He's saying you don't have compassion for them. You're not concerned about those who are sick or lost. You're merely concerned about your own well-being. And the result is that the people of Israel don't have somebody to look after them. We'll have a look further down over the page in um, verse 22, and this is the, uh, the promise that uh, God has for them. He says, I will save my flock, and they will no longer be plundered. I will judge between one sheep and another. I will place over them one shepherd, my servant David, and he will tend them. He will tend them and be their shepherd. Now this, this David is talking about is not the human king David. He was already dead by this stage. This is the one referred to as the son of David. This is the Messiah. This is the one who will come to save his people. Who will come and be a shepherd to his people. And now that shepherd who was prophesied so many years previously has come. And that, that shepherd is Jesus. He is the good shepherd. He's the one who will lift the burdens that the Jewish leaders have imposed on the people. He's the one who will give them rest. He's the one who will look after all their needs. But what is the first need they have? Let's go back to Mark 6. And the first thing we see there that Jesus does in verse 34 is he began teaching them. He began teaching them many things. Because their first need is a spiritual need. They need to know that he's the Messiah they've been waiting for for so long. They need to know that he brings the gift of forgiveness. They need to know how to enter that kingdom that he's establishing. They need to know how to live in that kingdom. They don't have leaders who can lead them. Their leaders have failed them. They need leading. They need guiding. And the question is, who are the sheep without a shepherd today? And in one sense, it's all those who do not know Jesus. Because they are all sheep without a shepherd. They are either following their own instincts, they're following false teaching, or they're just following the crowd. When asked by an interviewer what had prompted her to take part in the looting this past week, a teenage girl said, well, everybody else was doing it. And I didn't think there was much chance of getting caught. In a crowd, you, you feel safe. But as each person now would appear in court, they will have to give an account of their own individual acts. They can't hide behind anybody else. It's only afterwards that some of them realised their mistake. One girl um, turned herself into the police after her conscience had kept her awake all night. They all, they all have had different reasons for getting involved in that, but what they all had in common was that they were sheep without a shepherd. They lacked purpose, they lacked spiritual direction in their lives. Many of them said, I have no, no prospects, there's, there's no direction in my life. The government can try and establish law and order, can try and promote economic prosperity. But unless it teaches God's laws, then there will be a spiritual vacuum that will be filled by all sorts of things. 
And it's easy to judge these people as the government has done. But we need to have compassion for them. We need to, to pray for them. Pray that they will come under the teaching, the influence of Jesus Christ. They will know the gospel. They will have direction. David Cameron said to the looters, he said, um, we will track you down, we will find you, we will charge you, we will punish you. You will pay for what you've done. And imagine if we had that same compassion, not to go out and track them down to, to haul them before the courts, but to track them down and tell them, actually, there is another way. There is hope for you. And that hope comes from Jesus Christ. I think it's also a reminder for all of us not to follow the crowd because, you know, we are all tempted, aren't we, at some stage to, to follow what everybody else is doing. And yet we do need to be courageous enough to stand up for the truth, to stand up for what we know is right. Well, Jesus' compassion saw the spiritual need of the crowd and that prompted him to teach them. But how else was he a shepherd to them? Well, the third thing is that he took responsibility for their physical needs. After a few hours of teaching, no doubt, it's interesting that the disciples now come to Jesus and point out the time. Yeah, it's getting on a bit now, Jesus. You know, the people are going to be a bit hungry here. Why don't you just send them off and go and get them to go and buy some food somewhere? You know, obviously there are far too many for us to feed. Um, if they didn't bring a packed lunch, that's really their problem. Uh, it's not really our responsibility, is it? So let's just... Let's just send them off now. Let's call it a day. But what does Jesus answer? Have a look down. He answered, verse 37. You give them something to eat. You give them something to eat. It's pretty blunt, isn't it? You know, he's, in other words, why shouldn't it be your responsibility? The disciples appear to be taken a little bit back by this. You know, you can see what's going on in their minds. They, they start to do the maths. Well, hang on. There's 5,000 men. There's women, children. Let's say 12,000. You know, one loaf. That would probably do four people, say. Um, you know, we're talking here 3,000 pounds. Are you really expecting us to go out and spend that much on bread? It's not like they're so poor that they can't afford to go and buy some food for themselves. At the end of the day, it's just one meal. Surely the money can be better spent. Well, Jesus doesn't answer those comments directly. He just asks them, how many loaves do you have? They come back with the answer, five and two fish. And what he seems to be saying here is, well, just give me what you have. Just give me what you have and I'll do the rest. I think there's a message here in terms of how we address people's needs. It's easy to say, well, I don't have very much, therefore I won't give anything. But Jesus says, give me what you do have and leave the rest to me. Reminds us of the widow who put two small coins in that offering box. And Jesus said, I tell you the truth, this poor widow has put in more than all the others. All these people gave their gifts out of their wealth, but she out of her poverty put in all she had to live on. And that is what impresses um, greatly, as uh, Sue said in Romania, that people out of their poverty opened their homes to us. And as people have tried to understand what motivated the looters to steal, I think many explanations uh, surround the fact that um, it's greed, it's, uh, it's materialism, which drives our society. You know, somebody said, what difference is there between a politician falsely claiming the TV on expenses 
and a young person stealing a TV from a shop. And for us as Christians, money is an area where we also are under the influence of the world in which we live and where we're often blind to our, our selfishness. Most of us are guilty of, of spending too long thinking about the cost to us and the, the reasons why we shouldn't give than the need of the ones that we can help. We talk about compassion fatigue when we have more than one disaster in a year to give to. Did Jesus have compassion fatigue? You turn on a couple of pages to Mark 8 where we see another incident. And this is the feeding of the 4,000. And you might think, oh no, here we have another crowd. Um, another crowd didn't bring anything with them. What does Jesus say? He says in verse 2 of chapter 8, I have compassion for these people. They have already been with me three days and nothing to eat. If I send them home hungry, they will collapse on the way because some of them have come a long distance. It's compassion that sees their physical need. And finally, the miracle is not just a meeting of need, it's also a sign that points to Jesus' kingdom. Jesus described the crowd as sheep without a shepherd. He saw their spiritual need and so he began to teach them. He saw their physical need. And so what what exactly does he do? Well, he he works out how much food they have and he directs the disciples to have them all sit down in groups on green grass and that you automatically there think of the sheep again. He sits them down in groups. They're no longer a disorganised rabble now. They are becoming a flock under his care and direction and leadership. And he performs this amazing miracle. And as he does so, he uses language which will be familiar to us now. He takes the bread. He gives thanks. He breaks the bread. And he gives it to his disciples. The same words used to describe what he did that last supper compassion and power come together in this miracle and they point to the coming of Jesus' kingdom this miracle that was done out of a sense of compassion is already pointing to the greatest act of compassion Jesus' sacrifice on the cross and his power will mean that he's not just able to to cure sickness, to cast out demons he'll be able to conquer sin and death. Which brings us on to the application for ourselves. As we do our acts of mercy, our acts of compassion, what we are doing is demonstrating the kingdom of Christ. That we are agents of Christ, of his kingdom. We, not be, might, be able, we might not be able to do the, the miracles in the same routine way that the uh, disciples did them as they were sent out. But we can still demonstrate the kingdom through our daily acts compassion and mercy they often require sacrifice not necessarily of money but of time and energy but they are pointing to the biggest sacrifice that anybody could ever make for us, the sacrifice of a life and that should guide all our actions, all our acts of compassion I went to a wedding this week and uh, the the minister in his address was uh, talking about how Jesus should be the centre of our marriage and it's when he fails to be the centre of our marriage that then problems arise because if we're constantly reminded of Jesus' sacrifice for us then why would we 
argue about who clears away the dishes or fills the dishwasher or puts out the bin. Those acts just become trivial compared to the act of mercy that Jesus gave for us. I just wonder if those rioters would still have done what they did if they had been shown many acts of mercy and sacrifice towards them. And the problem with our acts of mercy is that we often expect gratitude, we we often expect that it has to lead to something. Jesus knew that most of the crowd here wouldn't follow him as their Lord. But he did what he did because compassion was his nature, it's part of who he is. He is love. And the reason we still see acts of kindness in the midst of these, these riots is because of God's common grace that he gives to all people, whether or not they follow him, whether or not they deserve it. And so we do need to be careful that we don't attach somehow conditions to our acts of mercy. That's not to say we shouldn't be naive. I had a phone call recently from somebody who was apparently in serious need, who gave me a, a story which really pulled at your heartstrings. But as I chatted to him at length, it soon became clear that it was just a scam. He was being very manipulative. There are other times when we can be generous to people over a prolonged period, and actually we're not being merciful to them. All we're doing is is supporting them in their rebellion against God. We need to be wise, and yet our first instinct should be to show compassion and not expect anything in return. Our acts should display the influence of Jesus in our lives. They should point to his kingdom. They should point to the one we would have sung about, so if we had the the words to love divine, all love's excelling. You may know those words. Jesus, you are all compassion. Boundless love that makes us whole.